Hello, Greyhounds. Welcome to Ted Lasso is Live, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Doyle. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chris Ann Morgan. Hello, all you Greyhounds. Today, we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 10, International Break. Although some of the Greyhounds went away to represent their country, there was more than enough drama domestically. Nate's not feeling so great, as he and West Ham have parted ways. In a similar vein, the lights went out at KJPR. Edwin Akufu and Rupert try to rope Rebecca into a new league, while Roy gets an epiphany at an elementary school. So to paraphrase the infamous Harry Styles quote, this was a Ted Lasso episode that felt like a Ted Lasso episode. And for me, the first one of the season. Don't get me wrong, there have been some magnificent moments so far, but not an episode that I enjoyed the entire way through. A couple of episodes, I talked about the concept of no skips, an album so good that you don't want to skip any of the songs because they're all amazing. And for me, this was the first episode of the season where I felt the same way. What'd you think, Chrisanne? Ooh, I was uncomfortable during parts of this episode. I did love it, um, but it felt interestingly off to me, actually. I'm in, I'm, I'm in counterpoint to your feel about it. Um, I feel like there's a lot of what they're doing is kind of rushed and we're not seeing, like we talked about last week, we're not seeing some key points of action and movement forward because they're just skipping them. And there are things that I would have really liked to see, but I feel like they didn't give us that because now they're running out of time and they spent all this time previously giving us subplots that didn't really move the story forward. And so we're not getting to see things like Nate deciding to quit and everything that happened to get Roy to where he is now in this episode. So I love the episode, but I'm very sad that certain things got missed and left out that I wanted to see. You forgot to send me the memo that we're doing role reversal today. Like what's going on? <laughs> I know, right? It's kind of crazy. We've switched it up on you. I thought for sure that you would feel the same way about not getting to see certain scenes and having that everything happen off camera. I don't know. Maybe if it's that we only have so few episodes left, but like, don't get me wrong. It, it wasn't perfect by any means. And there's definitely things that I do wish they might've done or done differently, but I think overall it had the most consistent, like Ted Lasso season one slash two feeling for me. Interesting. I did love the episode. I'm with you there. I guess it's just that I want more. I always want more. Can't blame me for that, can you? After the quote-unquote only 44-minute runtime that we touched upon many times last week, we shot back up to 63 minutes, so they definitely packed as much as they could within this hour. They sure did. I think it's just that I'm salty that they brought in the Shandy and the Zava. I think that's what my problem is, and I'll get over it eventually. But for now... I'm still wishing they would have let us see deeper into the Keely and Roy. I am really mad they took Phoebe away from us, too. But thank God she's back this episode. And she's so grown up. She looked so much older and more mature. Our girl, she's growing up. So let's get into the episode. Now that I've expressed all of my feels about it. How about that Rebecca arc? Wow, wow, wow. Were you expecting Rebecca's storyline to take the turn that it took this week? 
I guess one thing that was almost a little surprising was her in, her encounter with Sam because from my recollection, that's the first time they've talked to each other all season. Yeah, I don't think we've seen them one-on-one having a conversation. And, you know, it's always kind of awkward to bump into an ex when you've moved on. So it made sense to me that it was going to be a little bit awkward between them. Yeah, well, with Rebecca's pat on his arm and then Sam's even more awkward, like fist to the upper chest. (laughs) That was so silly. But I mean, if you really think about it, they've probably both given it a little bit of thought and are, you know, have moved on emotionally from their time together. So they'll get used to each other again. It'll just take a little bit of thawing out and they'll be fine. I hope. But who knows? We might not get to see them interact again. We've only got two episodes left. Although I've been very vocal in not liking their romantic storyline, it is nice that she called back to it by calling him wonderful again. Yeah, that was sweet. It didn't register with me that she was calling back, but that's a total callback. So I guess to answer answer your question, for me at least, I think at some point I did expect Rebecca to finally let go of the whole Rupert revenge angle and be rooting for Richmond instead of be rooting against Rupert. Yes, I'm so glad she's finally on that track. Um, And I think she's had a lot of personal growth and a lot of healing in order to get to that place. And I love that we've gotten to go with her on that whole journey and see all of these things that she has processed through in order to get to this place and without even being in therapy, which I think is one of the most amazing things ever. Uh, for Rebecca's journey. But I love, 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 love that we've gotten to see her go through it all step by step. I'm kind of hoping in the finale, there'll be a throwaway line where she's like, oh, I couldn't have done this without Dr. Sharon's help or something. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) She's been having therapy the whole time. I love that. I've actually seen quite a few jokes on Twitter saying how Rebecca's like secretly having therapy or like off camera or something. Cause like you said, she's almost like a different person now. She really is. I mean, when you think about it, she's had these things that have happened to her where she's realized that the thing with Rupert didn't happen to her. It happened for her to get away from him and have a more fulfilling life and be surrounded by people who cherish and adore her and are also very good to her as far as being colleagues and friends. I mean, when you think about it, her relationship with Ted, her relationship with Roy and Keeley and her relationship with Sassy, which she didn't have while she was with Rupert because she walked away. um, They've all come back and kind of nurtured her back to a more vibrant life. And now that she is so clearly over the pain that Rupert caused her and not feeling like her life is over or not happening because she's not with him. That healing, I think, is what happens to help her get rid of, you know, get over the whole idea of getting revenge. And I love that we have soft Rebecca back. She's still a a total boss ass bitch, but she's so soft now. We haven't seen her in any clothing that's been as armored as she used to be as the, as you know, the way she was in season one and even in season two. Or even in season three, like at the beginning of this season, when she went to the Chelsea match and the West Ham match, like 
probably purposefully dark colors, but even when she met Rupert this time at the, the meeting, she was in that light blouse. I love the way that they are styling her for the new softness. It's really such a great impact visually and the way that she's so nuanced in her per- portrayal. I think that um, containing multitudes is true for all of the characters, but I feel like Hannah really, really shows that with her performance of the character as well. And boy, that meeting, holy moly. <laughs> she hasn't lost any of her power. Even though she's softened, She's she feels more powerful to me. And of course, a couple of noticeable callbacks before the meeting when she was getting prepared and then she did the whole make herself big thing. Oh, of course, when she saw the reflection of little Rebecca in the mirror was wearing who was wearing pigtails. And of course, Keely said that she'd be mad fit wearing pigtails. Yes. Yeah, that was really sweet. That whole moment where she was looking at younger Rebecca was just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I feel like for something like that, it could it's a fine line between coming across like cliche or overdone, but I think they, they landed it with that. Yeah, I think they landed it too. I think it was spot on. So although Rebecca may or may not be getting therapy, she is obviously quite versed in the symptoms of mental health because she did the whole make herself big thing because she felt probably what was the onset of a panic attack. As we remember in Liverpool, she was the one out, she was the one that went out of the karaoke bar to find Ted. And then in the signal, she ran out of the stands into the locker room trying to find him because I think it, to me it's clear that she knows what a panic attack looks like because seems like she might have gotten some herself before. Remember when they first did that, Nate told Rebecca that he thought that she probably commanded every room she walked into. So therefore she couldn't understand where he was coming from. And she was about to go walk into a room full of old male football owners and uh, football club owners. And so we're getting a, you know, a very direct callback because she was walking into a room of old guys, <laughs> of old rich guys that she had to to uh, speak with and deal with. And, you know, what's really great, though, is that she wasn't going to go because she thought that it would be meaningless uh, to go to something with Rupert. I love that Higgins reminded her that she had a seat at the table. I also love how she roasted Rupert with the uh... Oh, you mean when they used to play by candlelight? Yeah, I love that she kind of gently roasts Rupert all the time. But who knew that Rupert actually had a heart underneath all of the calloused, old, cynical, evil old guy? Somewhere within him lies a beating heart. Maybe not anymore, but <laughs> at one point. At one at one point, yeah, he he had a heart. And I kind of feel like Rebecca maybe chipped away a little tiny bit at that crusty old veneer. I do love that he introduced her as the owner of AFC Richmond because obviously he has some newfound respect for her. And then when she told that story about Rupert as a boy, I feel like she softened him up just a little tiny bit and she reconnected him with the guy who loved the sport so much and it wasn't about just winning. 
and money for him. I love that she got right back down to the real reason that they're all involved with this game to begin with. I feel like for the first time we saw Rupert actually laugh from joy. The other times it almost seems like he's almost like snickering. But this time it seemed like from a place of joy, the laughter. It really did. It very much did. And it also let us see that, you know, there is a little shred of humanity to him. They've they've given us a little bit to like in Rupert this episode because it's hard to see such a brilliant actor like Anthony Head kill the role so well and then just hate him because <laughs> there's nothing to like. But they gave us something to like, some little, little tiny glimpse of a human being underneath all that evil, underneath the Palpatine of, oh, Underneath the Rupertine of it you. all. Yeah, I, I saw some tweets saying that, you know what, for a moment, I, I could actually see why Rebecca fell in love with Rupert in the first place. But of course, he went and ruined it. Yeah, he went and ruined it. But I feel like he's also turned a bit of a corner, having gotten rid of Ms. Cakes and replacing her with Ms. Bread, which I thought was very funny and probably most surely a nod to Marie Antoinette. But what's your take on that? Did you? think that was a funny little wordplay. You'll have to explain the reference. So Marie Antoinette said the phrase, let them eat cake in response to learning that the peasants had no bread. And the French phrase mentions brioche, which is a bread that's enriched with butter and eggs, which is kind of a luxury food. I love some brioche. It's definitely very luxurious. But the quote is taken to reflect her, you know, her very frivolous disregard for starving peasants. Um, or just her lack of understanding about how poor they were. So I thought that the bread and the cake thing was was a nod, or maybe it's something else entirely. What do you think it was was about? I'm more interested in what happened to Miss Cakes, because clearly Rupert was very, very fond of her. So for her to be gone, some shit went down, possibly tied to why Mr. Shelby's gone as well. Again, we missed out on some great things and the depth of some great things. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I would have preferred that they gave us these moments. Either last week or the week before when I posted on Instagram saying how season didn't really need all these extra characters. One person made the good point of how we saw Dr. Sharon helping Ted at the beginning of the season, but then she's completely disappeared. So is she actually still helping him or is he going through all this on his own now? So that kind of goes to your point of how they're not showing us everything that they could maybe be showing us. Yes, that is completely true. And I'd personally rather that Ted not have a private life where we don't know what's going on. I would like to see everything. <laughs> I miss Ted in this episode, too. I mean, I know that they were focusing on other characters. Yeah, I was going to say, if I did have one really big thing against this episode, would be that Ted was really in it. Yeah. But if we see the description for next week's episode, seems like it's going to be pretty heavy on Ted. Yes, that's true. It kind of feels like they're phasing Ted out a little bit. Ted's just slowly stepping away so he can slip away off to Kansas, which I didn't feel before. But now I'm starting to get a little bit worried, especially since Jason Sudeikis has been in the press saying that 
the three season storyline story arc is the story they wanted to tell. So one of the reasons why I enjoyed this episode so much was that absolutely magnificent scene when Rebecca is telling all the owners why they are wrong for trying to create the Super League, which is done over the backdrop of Nate playing his childhood violin, which was actually Nick Muhammad's childhood violin. And the accompanying piano was actually via his wife. And it was all due to an idea that Jason had, which is so fucking Jason. I read that too. That's so lovely. I love that they have taken the cast's actual talent. Like earlier in the season when Rebecca made the joke about Izava in Richmond, Virginia, that was actually a real thing Hannah said when she had she was called for her audition to play Rebecca. And then the first episode when Ted is talking to Henry about how he'd only the only reason he's away from him is because he has to do something important and hopes that he knows that. That's literally something Hannah said to her daughter about why she has to go away for acting so that she can do great work and win Emmys. So what I'm saying is Jason probably just heard what Nate, what Nick thought was a random comment about how, oh, I used to play violin and my wife's a pianist as well. And then went, boom, we're doing that for one of the most important scenes of this season. So I just love how Jason picks up on all the little details of the people he's with. Shows that he really cares. I love that they're using the cast's natural talent and everything they bring with them to these roles and capitalizing it and letting that shape the story. Mm. Chef's kiss. So good. So good. And Rebecca did a brilliant job on explaining why the beautiful game is so beautiful. She influenced something in a beautiful way and a profound way. I think because I'm an American and we're not in a country that loves football to the same degree as the Europeans and the Brits do. It's really wonderful to see how much passion people have for it, because I feel like we don't have the same reverence for some of the sports that are so popular in the States. So I'm a converted football fan, and I love that I am getting to see this, this, the beautiful game. It's been a real treat to watch and get turned on to it via Ted Lasso. Have you been a lifelong football fan, Kevin, or a more recent football fan? As I told Chip when I interviewed him, I did follow Arsenal back in the day in my university. Stopped for a number of years, but then since he kind of said, oh, you should follow again, then kind of been following again since then. That's so cool. Yeah. So what about you? Do you have a team that you cheer for now? I do. Um, I am a Chelsea supporter, partly because my man Roy Kent used to play for Chelsea, but also because one of my dear friends is a Chelsea supporter and um, turned me on to Chelsea. This is my perspective, but I feel like maybe the general Ted Lasso watcher who doesn't fall football might not have exactly understood the significance of the Super League and why it would be bad? Maybe not. Um, I mean, I know that was in the press because they tried to do it several years ago in England. Yeah, so this was a inspired by our real-life event. Yes, indeed. But I do feel like they did such a beautiful job. I mean, taking something away from people and the middle class just to make more money is a crime. 
nobody should do that. So I feel like that message came across really well. Was that what you were referring to? Well, essentially for the biggest leagues in Europe, England, Spain, Italy, the top teams from each of the leagues would play in this own secluded Super League. So the assumption is that without these top teams, their home leagues would suffer since most of the top talent would be drained away. So then there'd be less revenue from TV deals, from licensing, and possibly cause financial trouble for the remaining teams. Yeah, it seems to me just a silly idea to have built the popularity of the sport on the backs of the people you want to take it away from. Who's going to sit in the stands if you do that? It just it makes very little sense to me. But given the outside outsized ego that Edwin Akufu has, I'm not surprised that it was his idea in in the realm of Ted Lasso. And I'm totally going to side with Sam. I like the idea that people make their fortunes based on something good that they've given to the world rather than just how much money they have or that their importance is based on what they've given rather than how much money they make. The whole last scene that we see Rebecca in with the beautiful flowy pink dress and her hair is down. How long do you think she's been waiting to spit back in Ted's face? You know, if it were me... I would have been looking for opportunities all of the time. But I like that she waited it out. I like that she bided her time in order to find the exact perfect opportunity to do that. Almost exactly two full seasons later. I wonder what else she's waiting to do with Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like is a really beautiful new mode that Rebecca is in. Healed Rebecca is soft and not soft in a way that's weak, but very powerful. So you can be gentle and you can be loving and lead from a place of love, which is actually more powerful than just leading from a place of control and power. And I think that message is so important, especially in the times that we're all living in right now. Leading with love can often be more powerful than just power for power's sake. Speaking of power, Nate wanted more power. He wanted to be a manager and now he's not. So, And I think that we've seen Nate turn a corner there. And not only was he not prepared to let power and the need he has or the desire for power ruin his personal life, which I think is a beautiful thing. Although I do have some issues with the Nate storyline a little bit in this episode. I like that we got to see Nate turn this huge corner and go from the guy who was so abusive to a guy who's more caring. I do really wish they had shown us any of the process, though. I feel like they showed us a lot of mopey Nate and a lot of the prolonged depression that he was feeling about leaving. But they didn't show us a lot of his process of getting to that point. Like, I wanted to see him have the conversation with Rupert. I mean, although they may not have needed to show it to us. Although I will say, Kevin, I'm going to call you to the mat right now because it was just last week when you were saying that you wanted to have seen Keely fire Shandy. 
but now you're totally okay with them not showing the things that you wanted last week. To paraphrase one Arlo White, thank you for calling me out, Chrisanne. And next time, feel free to wait until we're off the air. <laughs> so I don't disagree with you that we should have probably seen what happened with Rupert and Nate. But I enjoyed everything else so much that able to kind of overlook it. Yeah. I think the thing that I'm most upset about is Nate's dad. I sincerely hope that he doesn't feel like that's the only thing he has to do to get back into a good place with Nate. Like, I hope he knows that that's just the teeniest, tiniest little tip of the iceberg in shitty parenting to kind of make up for the things that he did so wrong. I mean, at a certain point as an adult, of course, you realize that your life is what you make of it and you don't hold your parents responsible. You are fully in charge of your own behavior. And so you can't, I hope Nate doesn't blame his crappy behavior on his dad, but because this is about fathers and sons, I hope that Nate's dad does more than just that and starts to treat Nate differently. Because even after Nate wasn't a genius kid that he didn't know how to raise, he was still behaving really crappy towards Nate, especially when he went home after he was first dubbed the Wonder Kid. I don't know. I just felt like the apology was kind of hollow and I wanted more, but I'm glad that they went there and I'm glad they gave us that. I did really enjoy uh, Peter Landy's performance. He's the actor that plays Lloyd Shelley. I thought it was nuanced. It was really lovely. I want to see more between them. I want more unfolding. Sudeikis, are you listening? Give us a season four. Yell at him when you see him in LA. Yes, for the finale celebration. I will. Try not to get kicked off, though. I was just going to say, I'm sure Jason will really appreciate me yelling at him. I'm glad Nate had to go through some emotional reckoning. How do you feel about the whole Nate arc and what you saw in this episode, Kevin? I'm really interested to know what your thoughts are, because I've been thinking about it all week and wanting to talk to you about it. Slight tangent before I dig into that question. Since you were talking about last week about how much you hate George, gave us a lot more reason to hate him this week, since instead of crediting Nate for the good job, great job he's done getting to West Ham to second the table, oh, it's just because of Rupert's operation. Fucking wanker. Yeah. Well... You were right when you said, in answer to my question, will George ever stop being such a twat? Nope. He's so punchable. Punch him in his Liam and Noel? (laughs) Yep. On one hand, I'm happy that his father's starting to realize how badly he's fucked up. But on the other hand, learning how badly he's fucked up. If Nate's supposedly a genius, we went into the show meeting him when he was a kit man, which, no offense, but probably doesn't require genius to be one yeah that doesn't require genius level intelligence to be a kit man but his self-esteem was so in the shitter that it probably doesn't matter because he didn't feel like he was worthy the worthiness quotient that they're you know putting into the show is so important to remember because if you don't have that support you're not going to go very far in life. And so having a parent that actually stands by you and supports you is really the way that people can go and do great things in the world, even if they're not that talented. But we were talking about Nate. 
<laughs> Sorry, I took us on another tangent. You were just adding on to my tangent. So for Nate's apology to Will, or I guess apology gesture, when I first watched it, I thought it was actually pretty wankerish of him to sign it as Wonder Kid, because as you said before, telling Siri to call him Wonder Kid is kind of wankerish. But I remember that Will was the one who got him the kit that said Wonder Kid on it. So trying to look at it as like almost a term of endearment instead. Do you think that? I do, because Will also thought it was a really fun nickname when he was the one who got him the kit with the Wonder Kid on it. He was like, yeah, it's a really good nickname. And then it was great that Nate remembered that he was making way too big of a deal of the whole lavender thing. And of course, he had a little... A lavender sprig. Which he seemed to enjoy. Yeah, that was sweet. For a split second, though, when that, when that scene started, I was like, uh-oh, what's happening to Will? Is he getting replaced? Is he getting promoted? What's going on? And it was a fun little twist that it was Nate having done all that work and saying sorry. And of course, they set that up by telling the story about Rupert going through the tunnels to get to Nelson Road. Calling back to Renee. I'll admit I laughed with Rupert's line. Which one? Rebecca asks Rupert how he got in, and he said it was because of Renee. And Ru and Rebecca replies, the creepy guy who, who lives in the sewer. And then Rupert goes, come on, Rebecca. He only works in the sewer. Oh, yeah, that was very funny. Kind of a wanker move, though, just to sneak into our office like that. But, you know, Rupert and his sneak attacks. I wonder what kind of apology Nate is going to give to Ted and if we'll actually get to see that. I really hope we get to see well, I mean, it. I mean, we have to see it. There's no way we can't not see it. But I'm feeling a little bit like I can't trust the writers at this point. <laughs> I'm like nervous. I'm very nervous, but I'm going to try and have faith and trust. Well, like I said in the Nate Redemption video I made at the beginning of the season, that apology better be fucking epic. Yeah. It better be. I'm glad that Ted didn't jump in on Beard's axe throwing shenanigans with the picture of Nate as their target. Like, come on, Beard. I mean, I get it to a degree, but I like that even though Nate hurt Ted, that Ted isn't going to stop caring about Nate. I just, it's such a lovely way for any human being to be. And Nate's kind of the prodigal son at this point, right? He had to go out, turn away from Ted, his father figure, and he'll come back. Speaking of coming back, Phoebe! Yay! We got our Phoebe back. I love that we got to see Roy's sister for the first time. Second. We saw Roy's sister before? <sighs> Chrisanne, I'm disappointed. When did we ever see Roy's sister before? In Man City, when Sharon has the accident and Ted goes to the hospital to pick her up, that's the doctor they're talking to. Oh my God, are you serious? Yes, sir, Steve Kerr. Wow, my mind is blown. So do you think the rumors are, like, do you think that they're going to get Jamie together with Roy's sister? <laughs> Was that foreshadowing? So you know how in For the Children, Jamie wears infamously goes to the gala wearing just a blazer mm -hmm. for his top. Yep. Well, the actress who plays Phoebe's mom, Sophia Barclay, she's in a new movie and recently on the red carpet, she wore just a blazer for her top. Oh. But to your question, <laughs> the Jamie Roy hijinks are already at an all-time high, but if 
Jamie was dating Roy's sister. Oh my God, it'd go even higher. I know, it'd be so great. Well, it's also another reason for season four. Right? Because with only two episodes left, I'd probably say that they're not going to start that. Yeah, sadly. they're not. But I love the arc that Jamie is on. And I love that we're getting to see such a deep look at how Jamie is coming along to be this excellent guy. He's such a good friend to Roy. He's such a good friend to his other teammates, especially to Sam. But it's interesting that, and I'm going back to Nate for just one second, that they've shown us so much of Jamie's arc, but so little of Nate's. I mean, we don't really get to see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but I do feel like we got to see more of that with Jamie. And what a great friend, even though he's still being a little bit of a prick by changing Kent to the other word that he had to pay Phoebe a quid for. So great. So he's being really loving, but he's also still being his total prince prick self. It's perfect. I don't know. From what we've heard from our UK friends, the C word there's almost used as like a term of endearment. Whereas, of course, here it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that was the funniest, funniest joke on the show. Especially with Phoebe's slow realization. <laughs> yes. And I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm more. I'm more than a little bit upset that we didn't get to see the show. I wanted to see the performance. I'm not going to leave you on your Critics Island alone, so I'll jump in with this. You're saying in the intro how Phoebe looks like so much bigger now and mature. That's why I kind of had an issue with her kind of being this like super mature voice of the audience type thing in the first episode when she's explaining like almost way too much how and why Roy and Keeler are breaking up because then at this party, she's like wearing little party hats and stuff. So it feels like there's a bit of dissonance there. Or is that just me? No, I mean, I totally get that point. But I also feel like because Phoebe is so mature for her age, it's nice that she doesn't have to always be an adult. You know what I mean? Because well, that's the I, thing. I don't really feel like she's been like that mature until... The season three premiere. Yeah, I mean, it was... You feel differently? Step into a new territory for Phoebe when we saw her letting us know. But I feel like kids of divorce kind of mature at a, at a very quick rate and they learn certain things that other kids don't learn. So it was nice to see... She almost sounded like Nora in that season three premiere. Yeah, she kind of did. But then mm -hmm. this episode, she was like back to like season one and two, Phoebe. Yeah. I'm glad they gave us that Phoebe again. I love her no matter what, but I'm really glad to see that she had Uncle Roy Day and that they had a celebration. I think it's super sweet that she loves her Uncle Roy so much that it's her top two favorite holidays of the year, even over her own birthday I know. or over Christmas. Oh, and that she made him a t-shirt with his initials, red, orange, and yellow. I did not think we would get that much mileage out of a tie-dye t-shirt on Roy, but... When you say it out loud, it actually makes sense that we did get that much mileage. Well, it's just such a fun departure to see Roy wearing any color whatsoever. And that he did it because he loves Phoebe so much. Did you think he was going to run run over the shirt? Did he run over it? It didn't look like he ran over it to me. And of course, he backed up and he... No, no, he did it. I'm saying, Oh, did you think he was going to run over it? I was surprised by that. But then I was glad to see him reverse and come back and pick it up we saw miss bowen 
Yes. And there are so many people on the internet that are sad that Roy didn't get together with Miss Bowen, including some close friends of mine in real life. <laughs> I'll forgive them, but I, uh, I love the Miss Bowen and it was kind of funny because she's such a great actress and her sense of comedic timing was so perfect. And it's nice that they called out that they were flirting the last time they saw each other. Would have preferred more Miss Bowen to Shandy and Jack yeah, and Java. With you there. I mean, I think she made me laugh more in her like 30 seconds than either Shandy or yep. Jack did. Yeah. Super cool that she was a catalyst to kind of help everything in Roy's brain come together and have him realize what was up. Because I kind of feel like that's the way Roy works. He rejects something and then it kind of floats around in his head and then suddenly something happens and he's like, oh my gosh, this. And then he takes action. I also like that even though he swore at the beginning, he remembered that last time Miss Bowen said that he couldn't swear in front of the children. So then later on in the conversation, he changed it to fudge. <laughs> so what do you think of his note for Keely? I thought it was lovely. And then signing off with, I love you. Sincerely, Roy Kent. <laughs> I didn't see him being an XOXO person. I didn't either. Phoebe clearly has had an effect on him. Or maybe Gina Gershon. Perhaps so. Yeah. And I love that there's like Hannon, Keely and Roy interaction when he asks her a question and she doesn't want to answer it. She changes the subject and asks him another question. Like that was such a Keely move. Is it? I feel like normally Keely would be pretty open to answering most things. Yes. I just felt like that was just standard Keely because she knows how to push all of Roy's buttons. I also like the callback to, Oi, what are you doing here? Which is what she did to Ted in the pilot. That was cute. But yeah, I thought it was a great scene. Like it was brilliant balance of heart and humor. I love it when they do that too, where they slip in all the feels and make you laugh while they're doing it. That's like signature Ted Lasso. Like I said, Ted Lasso episode, that felt like a Ted Lasso episode. Yeah. So when Keely was at the Crown and Anchor talking to May, and May said, once you make it to the top of the mountain, what's left for you but lightning? That was definitely a nod to Roy's struck by fucking lightning speech, right? Oh, for sure it was. It was absolutely a callback to that. And I really loved Juno's portrayal. The way that she just was in that space, that kind of devastated, half drunk, and then fully drunk space. And the way she approaches and the way that she just asks questions and is so not cynical in any way. You know, she just approaches the world with this very clear, open mind. And I've always loved that about Keely. And I've always loved that about how Juno chooses to inhabit Keely's shoes. I think it's a real gift. It's a gift both to the part and it's also such a gift to the show. Like we said, Keely hasn't had the best storyline this season, but Juno's definitely done whatever she's can with it. Oh, for sure. We haven't gotten to see Keely being the boss. It feels like she just doesn't work. And I hope that that turns around. I don't think this, but what would you say if people were to say that is a bit too easy for Rebecca to just replace the funding for KJPR. That one didn't stick in my craw very much. I mean, I'm fine with it. It's kind of predictable. And, you know, Rebecca has the money 
And now they're at a place where I feel like it's a much more logical thing for Rebecca to do rather than having Keely just ask her for the funding up top because Keely wouldn't have left unless she was offered the money by somebody else. So now that Rebecca is backing her, because clearly it's chump change to her. Literally, she's got that much in cash. If you have a friend who can do that and you can do that for a friend, I say, I'm all for it. Let them do that. I was less bothered by Rebecca funding Keely's business than I was by the fact that we didn't get to see Keely and Roy make up and have that conversation because they brought us through so much with Keely and Roy in season two. And we got to see them having these important conversations. So maybe, maybe they'll have a talk. You know, maybe they just had like the best we're back to back together sex and everything is hunky dory and they really didn't have time to talk about it because they were overcome with their love for one another. But I do hope we get to see them talk about it. Yeah, I do see where you're coming from because they were apart for what, almost 10 episodes and they got back together in less than 10 minutes. I think when he said, you're Keely fucking Jones, that letter, that part of the letter just hit me, hit me right in the heart. Such a powerful thing because their unconditional support for one another was such a powerful thing and such a strong and unconditional love that they had for one another. I don't feel like they had to do all of their growing apart from one another, but it was a choice and that's what happened. So I'm going to stop complaining about it because they gave me back what I wanted, which was Roy and Keeley, the best couple to ever couple. Until you know who. Right. So one thing that made it less cumbersome to get through their split was they essentially told us in the trailer that they were going to get back together. Do you think that was a misstep to put that in the trailer? I didn't. I mean, you knew that they were going to get back together. And I'm glad that they didn't. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't hold out on us and they let us know that off the bat. But I wonder if Keely's conversation with Rebecca was kind of a little bit of what Keely's feeling like on the inside about getting back together with Roy. Keely is basically saying all these things about how wrong it would be for Rebecca ever to get back in a relationship with Rupert and basically not at all for letting an ex back into your life. She was very down on that idea, which was a funny counterpoint to the fact that she had just let her ex back into, into her life. I do wonder if that's going to be a thing that comes up. If that was at all, you know, a way that Keely maybe feels about Roy, but hasn't said yet that came out when she was talking to Rebecca about it. Well, I'd say it, it didn't bother her enough since she did take him back. Well, you know, she's contractually obligated to get back together with Roy Kent. So there wasn't another outcome possible. So Patrick Reed on Twitter asked the question, I could have lived my whole life not knowing Rani Dohas and had been just fine. Just me? What do you think, Rasan? Oh, God. I mean... It was kind of funny, but there is a little bit of a dark edge to Rani Dohas that gave me pause. You know, I was like, whoa, he a little, a lot, bro, a lot, a lot. Yeah. I mean, he full on broke Van Damme's nose and didn't seem to really acknowledge it or own up to it. And the Doritos. Oh, my God. That Dorito scene was so funny. And I think the most hilarious part of that was when he kind of flipped the Doritos bag. I didn't expect that to happen, but it was interesting 
to see Danny have more than just happy-go-lucky, raven-haired golden retriever Danny. So fun fact, this passage comes from Awards Radar. Talking to Phil Dunster, the interviewer Abe said, I spoke to casting director Theo Park, who said that originally the character of Danny Ross was supposed to be the arrogant star player, but when they saw you and Crystal Fernandez, they created a new character for Jamie Tart. So we might have seen what the evil, arrogant version of Danny Rojas looked like with this Rani Dohas. Yeah. It was almost haunting the way that he, that he talked as Rani Dohas. Yeah, it was. I'm not your bro. <laughs> Speaking of players who did give an emotional flip, it was so hard to see Sam be so heartbroken over not getting to play for the Nigerian team. And man, Edwin Akufu is just a spiteful meanie. Holy hell. He was not kidding. He was being serious when he said he was going to try to destroy Sam for not being on his team. But whoa, that was some next level revenge. Loki hate Francis. We did get to see Sam putting his... World Cup picture of the Nigerian team back in his locker, though. So, so that means he bought a new one because, of course, in the curse fire in Two Aces, that's what he threw in. Yes, he did. So, I think that that must mean that he's got some hope. Well, he certainly seemed back to his Sunny Sam self by the end. He did. And I'm sure having Jamie pay tribute with his England team number helped with that. I thought that was so lovely. And Jamie's just, again, becoming such a mensch. Such a good, good lad. So one thing that kind of bothered me was Isaac didn't get called up for whichever national team he represents. Typically, the captain of football team is like top two, maybe top three at worst, best on the team. So for him not to be selected to the national team, bit of an odd choice. I was taken aback by that a little bit. And then although Bumbercatch was revealed to be of Swiss nationality on the show. In FIFA, he's actually listed as English. So, Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And now it's We've Got Mail. So as a quick reminder, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so in several ways. You can email us, tedlassoislifepodcast at gmail.com. Or if it's easier for you to DM, you can always message me, at Ted Lasso is Life on Twitter or Instagram. So on Instagram, Angie messaged me to ask to see if we will be doing these type of episode discussions for seasons one and two. At the moment, we can't answer that definitively, but what I did tell her was that if you want to see that happen or even just see more episodes, the best way you can do to make that happen is to leave a five-star review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And Angie is a good listener since she did do exactly that. Her view, taking it to the next level, Kevin and Chrisanne bring more beauty to the show by their quality section of each episode. It's always fun to hear deeper meanings to chosen songs, hidden gems along the way, and their predictions of what's to come. I appreciate their love for the show and how this podcast enriches the viewing of each episode. Thank you both. And thank you, Angie, for that wonderful review. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. Some people think that we make money off this, and we actually do not. If anything, it's a money-losing venture. Zoom costs money, because I don't want to have an interview with a guest and then have to reconnect after 40 minutes, so i got to pay for the premium. 
And then, of course, the sound half decent. I bought a mic as well. And not to mention all of the time and effort that we put into this, which I put in so much that Chris Ann actually tells me to scale back to just give you an idea. <laughs> yeah. So what we're saying is <laughs> the only real quote unquote currency that we get from doing this show is the love from y'all via ratings and reviews. So we appreciate everyone that listens and very grateful for those who have rated and reviewed. And yeah, we'll see what comes next. Definitely a labor of love. We love the show so much. And I love doing this podcast with you, Kevin. So thanks for bringing me along for the ride. You got it, bruv. <laughs> and now time for our favorite part of the podcast, the awards. So despite what we say sometimes, Chris Ann and I both love Ted Lasso. And we're nice people, so each week we give out awards in a variety of fun categories. First up, MVP. MVP! 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 <laughs> so for me, it's Rebecca with a back-to-back win. This week, she stopped the formation of a potentially devastating Super League, resisted Rupert's advance, and in doing so, was able to finally let go of her revenge scheming. And just for kicks, revived KJPR with some pocket change. Pretty solid. My MVP this week is Jamie Tart, just because he was so lovely with Roy. And he also, because he wore Sam's number on the field when he went to play for England. I know that that's not as impressive as Rebecca. And I would have picked Rebecca, but you picked her. And so I'm giving the second place award, really, because the first place should really go to Rebecca. But Jamie's in there being a good dude, and I am here to praise him for it. And on the other end of the spectrum, the wanker of the week. For me, it is the man who needs some anger management, Mr. Edwin Okufu. Could there really be anybody else? I mean, when you're trying to make billionaires richer at the expense of the enjoyment of regular people, that's... That's pretty low. Yeah. And you know what? The first, well, not even the first wankery thing he did when he right off the bat mentioned it was nice for Rebecca to be there. So he wasn't the only minority. I was just like, oh, God, Edwin, he's bad form left, right and center. And what he's doing to Sam is just gives a new meaning to the word wanker. And he ruined a night at his restaurant for him, booking up the whole thing. Yeah. Is he 14? That's like some Bart Simpson business right there. And do we think he's actually opening that Nigerian restaurant 20 meters away? Um, I wouldn't put it past him. And now that he doesn't have his super league, he's going to have some time on his hands. So he may well just open that restaurant because he has nothing else to do now. Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? Well, my award this week goes to Rebecca. She took a page out of Trent Krim's book and said, is this a fucking joke? And it was so good and so satisfying. And therefore, she wins the award. I'll agree that's definitely the best use of verbal profanity, but I have to go with Jamie and his incredible customized Kent kit. 
<laughs> if you notice, I had to say that second part real slow to make sure I didn't say what was actually on that kit. Exactly. But in my defense, like Phoebe said, even though Jamie didn't say anything, you made us think it, and that's basically the same thing. The You're Gonna Make Me Cry Award. For me, it was Roy outside of Keeley's house and the letter. When he invoked the Keeley fucking Jones. Oh, my heart. How about you, Kevin? On first watch, it was when Jamie was coming on for his England debut and was wearing Sam's number as a tribute. And the second watch? What I meant by that was on the second watch, sometimes you notice things you don't notice the first time. And when I looked at the, I guess we call it substitution board that the assistant was holding up, 24 was green, which meant that was Jamie's number coming in. But then the other number in red was nine, which is, of course, Jamie's number. So what I'm saying is it kind of took off the effect a bit because Jamie literally had to pick another number because someone took his number. But I posted yesterday the clip from last week, episode 309, where Jamie asked for the armband and Sam playfully gives him the finger. When I posted this, then I realized that it still showed the growth of Jamie that even though he got rejected for something he really wanted, he didn't make it personal and he was still went through with trying to honor his friend. So judge's verdict, award still stands. <laughs> nice. The That Was Funnier Than Step Brothers Award. For me, it was Higgins' take on Willy Wonka. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I found even more funny when he was like, if you see billionaires disappearing one by one because of the hubris, you get the hell out of there. <laughs> that was my favorite part, too. God, so good. I love my Jeremy Swift. I hate to break it to you, Rebecca. Those children are dead. <laughs> Not to pick the same scene again, but it was so fucking funny seeing Phoebe's slow realization of what the customized Kent jersey actually meant like just so perfect perfect very funny yeah but since I'm kind of repeating a scene I'll offer another one it feels like Keely hasn't had much chance to really be funny this season so when Rebecca opened the door and she says have you been shot I, I thought that was much needed from Keely's character yeah I thought that was funny too and her shirt really did look so messed up and now for the award that's all about fashion. She's fucking fat! So this week, the award goes once again to Miss Rebecca Welton, who is winning all the awards. I mean, the dress that they chose for her, which is by a company called Mage Paris. It is called the Rionette Dress, and the color is Bois de Rose. Her hair being down and flowing and the dress being soft and relaxed. It doesn't have structured shoulders. It's got an open V and Hannah Waddingham just rocked it. I mean, that color is perfect for her. She gets the award. I'm also going to have to call out the sneaker game that they all have as well. I love looking at their kicks. Everybody has amazing kicks on that show. So... Kind of a dual award, but um, man, they're giving us soft Rebecca excellence. I'm going to give an honorable mention to Barbara with her juicy couture tracksuit. I like clothes that tell the truth. Well, she got the job done. And you know what? Even though they're from the early 2000s, I think Babs was rocking her tracksuit. 
And last but not least, since I'm a writer and I love Ted Lasso, is Kevin's kick-ass, not line of the week, but this week is abbreviation. And it's to Phoebe for her Roy tie-dye shirt, because Roy stands for red, orange, and yellow, which of course are also the first three colors of rainbow, which I don't think anyone would have ever probably thought of that. So I like that. All right, the final whistle is about to blow on this podcast episode, so we're into added time, where we give you some final shots of some noteworthy items from the episode. Did you notice that Ted was wearing a red polo this week? He's always in blue, but this time he was just rocking his red with no sweater over it, just the red. And Rebecca was in pink, in a kind of a deeper shade of pink. I think you know where I'm going with this. I think I do. <laughs> yes, we are Ted Beckistans. I own it proudly. So just give some more props to Higgins, startling with the tea. That was really funny. And then the cherry on top was he wanted his tea so badly he started licking his tie. Who hasn't done that? Hasn't sucked something out of a piece of napkin when you were a kid. I thought that was, oh my God, the physical comedy. So when Rebecca put up the Hockney painting at the end, I had a feeling it was the same one as the pilot, but I went back to check and it actually is. So what happened? Did she like rebuy another one or? I'm guessing she just told Rupert that she sold it. Maybe when she sent it to the auction house, it didn't sell or it didn't get the price that she hoped. And since she forgave Rupert and it is a thing of beauty, I think she decided to put it back up because she no longer has to excommunicate him from the entirety of her life. She can remember certain things fondly about him. As for the opposite of thinking things are fond, I'm with Ted here. It looks like a little boy drew that. (laughs) Speaking of art, the Richmond snow globe that Keeley bought for Barbara, production designer Paul Cripps revealed on Instagram that that was actually custom made. I saw that too. Gosh, the attention to detail that they go to. And they made like multiple versions, not just one. It's such a cool thing. But man, Keely, spending 60 quid on a snow globe? Yikes. Speaking of yikes, apparently season three of Ted Lasso is all about period jokes since, of course, we had that whole bit with the wine delivery service. Yeah, I didn't appreciate that one as much as I had appreciated other ones. But I think it's very funny that they're focusing on the lady bits. If Keely ever needs an ear for some PR advice, Rebecca might be able to help because when Ted called it gossip, she says, it's not gossip, <laughs> it's speculation. Yes. As for Ted, we had that super Ted line of, okay, all right, well, let's go outside and wish your friends safe travels and Godspeed. Whatever narcotic your deity chooses to self-medicate with. That was classic Ted. And as for classic Rebecca and Roy, I love the callback to their Liverpool silent salute with the silent salute again in Keeley's house. I thought that was lovely too. And we're sending all listeners a salute for being with us on this ride. Thanks. Right on, right on. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could be like Ted and give us a five-star certified fresh review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, onward, forward. Forward.